Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Bite Size Cinema. I'm your host RJ McCready and for this episode I'm going to be taking you guys back to a year in 1981 to look at Terry Gillingham's adventure, sci-fi, fantasy, nightmarish I suppose you could say, Time Bandits. So let's jump through the portal, let's have a look at the trailer and I'll see you guys soon. The classic is back. So prepare yourself for a different kind of movie. A movie that takes you on a journey through time. Ask me. Will you? Travel aboard the SS Titanic. Shake hands with Napoleon. Become a personal friend to Robin Hood. You will join us at a real Roman orgy. You'll say hello to ancient Greece. And marvel at the size of a young warrior's horn. You will spend an evening with the biggest homo sapien of all time. Did you hear something, dear? No, I don't think so. Finally, a movie that takes you inside. The fabulous world of darkness. Recognize this fellow? Well, you will when he tries to destroy all good in the universe. Oh, no! I'm a reasonable man. Former Beatle George Harrison brings together John Cleese, Sean Connery, Shelley Duvall, Catherine Hellman, Michael Palin, David Warner, in a journey more ridiculous than history. Thank you very much. Very, 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 very much. Time Bandits. Oh, And welcome back guys. So the synopsis of this film is a young boy accidentally joins a band of time-traveling dwarfs as they jump from error to error looking for treasures to steal. It's a PG, it's got 110 minute runtime, and it's classed as an adventure comedy fantasy. It was co-written, produced and directed by the legendary film director Terry Ginnam who is known for the being involved with the Monty Python crowd and other movies such as Jabberwocky uh, Monty Python's Holy Grail, Brazil and The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. And being a Python movie, you also have um, the part of that crew in this film being John Cleese and Michael Palin. And other actors in this film is Sean Connery, uh, Shelley Duvall, who's from The Shining, uh, Ralph Richardson, Ian Holm, and David Warner who plays evil and David Warner he's a great actor at this time he just seemed to play every evil person you can imagine in Hollywood at that time he was also in Tron and he made an appearance in uh, one of my favorite horror movies being The Omen and obviously the other actors in this movie you got David Rappaport, uh, Kenny Baker, Jack Purvis, Mike Edmonds, Tiny Ross and Craig Warnock who plays Kevin and a bit of trivia about Kevin Rowe or Craig Warnock, it's, just, it's actually his brother that um, auditioned for the movie, but he was just standing in the background and Terry Gillingham went, he's the one I want, he's Kevin, he was just being himself and he said, no, he's, he's, the, um, he's the guy that I want to play Kevin, so his brother ditched out on this one, but he, do, he does a good job in this movie. And Gillingham has referred to Time Bandits as the first of his trilogy of imagination followed by Brazil, which is a hell of a nightmarish movie. Um, affects me every time I watch that. And uh, Adventures of Baron Munchausen. So the basic line here with all these films is you've got Time Bandits, which is seen through a kid's perspective. Uh, Brazil, which is seen through an, an adult's um, perspective. 
being a guy in his 30s, say, and Munchausen through the eyes of an elderly man. So they're, they're all connected, all part of the trilogy, and they're all really good films, and they've all got their own... How can I explain it? Um, own charm, I suppose you could say, when I try to describe these films, but... All in all, when someone asks me about this trilogy, I, I generally say they're like nightmares in, in some ways, but done really well. But um, Brazil particularly, even Terry Gindham, uh, when I watched the extra, extras for that, he even says, I don't know, I've just, I don't even know what I've done here. This this film is so crazy. <laughs> I can't even ask that question. So there you go, it gives you an idea. But generally, these films are nightmares um, through like I say, people's perspectives and adventure fantasy movies, um, all in all. And let's talk about the building block of this movie. So it was financed by Handmade Films, which was formed by former Beatle George Harrison. And and he also wrote and produced the, uh, the end song here, Only a Dream Away, which is a great song. It's a great addition to this movie. And the other thing here is to mention there's a film distributor called Af Afco Embassy, uh, which is an independent... Uh, film distributor and they worked with very low budget films and between the late 70s and early 80s they had a string of movies really good films and just to mention a few here you had Phantasm uh, you had The Fog from uh, John Carpenter you had Scanners uh, I think that's David Cronenberg uh, Time Bandits obviously The Howling which is Joe Dante and John Carpenter Escape from New York I mean you look at those films they are iconic and they are very well loved um, in the horror world, um, fans love it, I know there's a lot of people that love it on social media, especially um, the, the guys on Legion Podcast, and like I say, the, the thing that I want to mention here with this with AFCO Embassy, and it's very important, and I like this, and it's a big thing for Terry Ginnam, is that they, they had full control of these films, they were given a budget, AFCO Embassy said to them, look here's the money, We'll give you this budget, we won't give you any more, but they had full control of their films. And um, this was the end result, and now you've got some blueprints for horror right here, like say. Um, and this is the thing with Tide Bandits, and this is what uh, Gindham wanted to do. He didn't want to have a studio. He, he had Disney involved. Disney were going to give him the money, but he said no, because they wanted too much involvement. And as a result, you've got a film like Time Bandits, and this is giving them pure imagination here just let loose and as a result you've got a film that really has tested uh, stood the test of time and I'd, I don't know anybody that doesn't like this film and it did really well in the US it hit the US markets and the box office weekend grossing six million dollars and as an international gross it made 42 million dollars so it was a success uh, critically and commercially so and it still does really well today and it's also left a bit of a legacy because even J.K. Rowling, who uh, made the Harry Potter film, she even wanted uh, them to direct her first movie, which was the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, she really wanted Gillingham to make that film because of this type of movie. Um, but the studio said, no, uh, we'll get Chris Columbus to do it because <laughs> we, want, we wanted a more kid-friendly movie, which is what I'm talking about. You know, it, it's... I won't get into that too much, but um, the good thing about Time Bandits is all out. It, it doesn't push the boundaries, but it doesn't hold back at the same time. It's just like hell, you know. This is it. It's a kid's nightmare. We'll just do it. This is what's happening. So um, the Harry Potter films could have been very different, couldn't they? <laughs> it would have been interesting if getting them out of go. But uh, there we go. We'll just have to 
It's just one of those what-ifs, I guess. But while we're talking about Harry Potter, because I watched this when I was a kid back in the 80s, um, I remember my dad bringing it home on VHS, and this was my Harry Potter back in the time. And guess what? It was only a two-hour movie, all condensed into one. It didn't have to be... I'm not having a dick at Harry Potter either. Good, it's a good franchise. What I'm saying is you don't. sometimes you don't have to have so many films or drawn-out storylines or plots. You've just basically with time bandits, you've got a two-hour movie gets you from point A to B, it does what it says on the tin, and that's it, and it's a fun film. And it's a testament to Terry Gidden when I speak to all the fans about this film, and they just rave about it, but, um, so there you go, that's, that's my take on it, but, um, talking a little bit more about some trivia before I get into the review that this film is, um, Sean Connery, um, originally Terry Gidden uh, thought about having him in the movie, didn't think he'd have the budget for it, but Sean Connery was contacted and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll turn up for it, it's fine, and he um, he found out that he was going to play Agamen Agamemnon, I, I can't pronounce his name, sorry guys, um, and he said, yeah, I'm up for it, I like it, and he turned up, and um, I don't think he got too much money for, pay for playing that role, appreciating it being a budget movie, so fair play to Sean Connery, and he does a great job with this film. And... Uh, Jonathan Pierce was lined up to play the David Warner role. I could have seen him play that, actually. He was going to play evil, but um, we went to David Warner and I can't take anything away from him. He does an incredible job. So let's have a look at the film then, guys. So it starts off with a POV shot going down to Earth and it goes into a housing state. And this is where you meet 11-year-old Kevin, who has a vivid imagination about history and is particularly interested in ancient Greece, but his parents ignore him. They're in, more interested in buying the latest household gadgets to keep up with their neighbours and all that sort of rubbish. So Kevin retreats most of the time to his bedroom reading about history and thinking about all these adventures around the world, but at night time a horse bursts through his wardrobe and Kevin is scared as the horse rides off into a forest. So the next time he prepares himself with a Polaroid camera and what happens here is a, a group of dwarfs come crashing through, one with a machine gun, and this is where you've got Ray, David Rappaport and Kenny Baker, with some fantastic names as Randall and Vermin and Fidget, and they're a great bunch. And Kevin quickly learns that they have a map which they've stolen from God, which allows them to go through time and find treasures of the past. So what happens here is the dwarfs find a wall in Kevin's bedroom which moves and which is uh, turns out to be like a portal to go through time. Kevin and the dwarves fall into an empty void and at the end of the hallway they are chased by God and this is a great scene, this is a really good scene. I don't know how they did this with some sort of animations or what have you but you've got uh, God's face um, looming in towards them. So with all this going on, I mean, Kevin's hesitant to go with him but he has no choice because he's chased by the supreme being and he finds himself Travelling through different times and spaces and he meets up with Napoleon which is played by Ian Holm and then he meets um, John Cleese who plays Robin Hood which is a great scene. And then whilst all this is going on, unknown to them, Evil is watching them which is played by even uh, David Warner. And he wants to have the map for himself so he can sort of manipulate time and reality and make the world and universe his own design. And then uh, through Evil's action, uh, Kevin becomes separated from the dwarves and he goes back to Greece and it's where he meets King Agamemnon, which is played by Sean Connery. And this is where Kevin finds some happiness. He finally finds a parent in King Agamemnon after he um, helps him defeat the Minotaur. 
and he goes back to his kingdom and uh, Sean Connery takes him under as his son almost and he's quite happy but then the dwarves turn up and they abduct Kevin uh, going back for another portal and this time they end up on the RMS Titanic so they are doomed so they hit the iceberg they're on a seeking ship and they go for another uh, time hole or portal and this time they go back to the land of the legends this is a great scene really good scene real fantasy scene here where they end up on an old uh, ship with an ogre and his wife and they capture the dwarves and Kevin wanting to put them in a, a cooking pot, pot and eat, eat them but um, between them they managed to um, thwart this plan by chucking the ogre and his wife um, overboard and taking over the ship but it doesn't stop here because um, a giant comes out and like I say another great scene here where the giant comes out of the water and you've got the ship on top of his head so again they're trying to think of a plan on how to stop this so they get a um, fire stoker I suppose you could say and they use it as a uh, syringe to put like a sleeping potion into the giant's head and he comes crashing down and they managed to escape again but um, now they found the fortress of ultimate darkness and are uh, led to believe that uh, the most fabulous object in the world is awaiting them so it's kind of like evil's trap luring him in and evil takes the map off them and puts them into a cage and you get a pretty cool scene here where they start cutting bits of rope off and uh, making a line so they can escape from the cage and randall thinks it's all over because they don't have the map but then kevin realizes that he's taken a polaroid of the map and they can find the next portal so after escaping the cage kevin manages to distract evil while the others go through the hole and then before evil confronts kevin uh, you get probably one of the best scenes out of this movie. It's where everybody, all the dwarves return with various uh, warriors, fighting machines, cowboys, archers, a tank, uh, a spaceship. And you get probably one of the best fighting scenes here. It's just incredible. Um, everybody has a go at evil. You've got the cowboys, the archers. And if you haven't already been entertained with all the other great stuff from this movie you get the massive payoff here with this final fight and it's and you know what i'm talking about guys you've got evil that uh, turns into a, like a merry-go-round with some ropes for the cowboys and he cuts them off and gets rid of them all and then when the archers throw uh, arrows at him he turns into a big ball and then he bursts out all the arrows back at them to kill them so they throw everything at him to try and stop evil, but all the things through the history books cannot stop him. But then all of a sudden he turns into a ball of flames and into charcoal. And then you've got um, the supreme being that turns up again with a massive flash of white light. And then you've got an old man in a suit, which is played by Ralph Richardson. He does a great job with this character. He's got real conviction in his voice here when he starts talking. And the biggest twist at the end of this movie is that he actually allowed all this to happen. This is always master plan. He wanted them to take the map and he just basically wanted to see what evil was like because he said that he basically he's created evil. He just wanted to see what, what evil was going to do in the world and he said he's quite happy with it. So um, that is a twist at the end of this film. But they collect all the uh, bits of charcoal and he says you must put them all back in. Uh, be careful with it. And they put it into a pillar box. And this is where the dwarves go back up to possibly heaven or wherever it is they came from. And then Supreme Beam says to Kevin, no, you, you have to live the adventure, you have to go on. And the dwarves are kind of like upset with this. And they say, oh, we really wanted him to, you know, stay with us. 
And then Kevin returns home to his bedroom but he's engulfed in smoke and his house is on fire and he gets rescued by the fire brigade and he's outside and it's quite a dark scene coming up here because one of the firemen finds a toaster and there's a little bit of uh, evil charcoal in there and he's, Kevin says to his mum dad, don't touch it, it's evil and they both touch it and then they blow up. So poor old Kevin, he's left in a worse situation now because he's on his home and he's, uh, he hasn't got any parents. And then you get um, one of the firemen, he gets into the fire, fire engine and he looks out and it's Sean Connery. Whether they've opened that up for Sean Connery to be his foster parent, I don't know, but that's it. And then you've got the POV shot of uh, it comes out from the housing estate, how it started at the beginning and then you've got um, the camera panning out from Earth. And that's it, that's how the film ends and you've got the map that just sort of rolls up and then you've got the end credits and the magnificent George Harrison song only a dream away which um, complements the movie really well i think and that is it guys that is uh, time bandits that is my bite-sized review on time bandits if you haven't seen it go check it out if you have seen it i've no doubt you're probably a fan just like me I, like i said at the beginning of the show i don't know anybody that doesn't really like this film and as I said at the beginning of the show, guys, this is a testament to when a film director or writer and everybody involved in these films, when they get a chance just to make a film that they want to make and they don't get any studio interference and Time Bandits is a good example of that. So there you go. I'll leave you with that thought. So like I say, guys, hope you enjoyed the show. Um, I will be back soon with... What am I doing next? That's Oh, yeah, I'm going to be doing Demons. Demons from 1985, Argento. Lamberto Barber, um, great movie, one of my favourite horror movies, probably a date night film, so I'll be checking that out soon. And as a bit of admin guys, I am a proud member of Legion Podcast, so please go and check out all the other great shows there. And you can find the show on uh, iTunes, and I'm now on YouTube and Stitcher, and uh, Legion Podcast as well, so go check it out. So. Um, Stay bite-sized, stay safe out there, guys, and I will see you soon. show then make sure you check out the other great shows on the legion podcast network like cinema psyops cinema beef devour the podcast duncan and Bo come correct exploding heads horror movie podcast friday the 13th get slayed the hell Ming power hour hello this is the doom show hero hero ghost show kill the cast underwater kaiju from outer space jerry hates action legion after dark mental health obsessive cinema discourse Pick Six Movies, the podcast by The Cemetery, the podcast on Haunted Hill, the Psycho Semantic Podcast, Rick Radio, House of Wax, Dude Looks Like the 80s, Rabbit and Red Radio, The Shadecast, Short Bus Cinema, Two Drink Minimum Commentaries, The VD Clinic, Who Will Survive Horror Podcast, and Which Versus the Doomsday Clock. With such a wide spread of shows, there is guaranteed to be a niche for you to fall in love with. 
horror, politics, movies, books, sex, music, commentaries, health, video games, kaiju, action, news, comedy, and opinions that would most likely get you killed in some parts of the world. We are proud to bring you some of the best podcasting in the world. Check us out at www.legionpodcast.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, and any other dark corner of the internet where podcasts can be found.